This call is being recorded. Don't punt to Geo, South Carolina Postmortem Edition. Yes, listener, we're coming to you three days after the Heels' 24-20 win over the Gamecocks, and that is my fault. For the first time since the Butch Davis era, I felt compelled to yell myself completely hoarse at a football game. While you're here, and the Heels are 1-0 after playing a Power 5 team for the first time since 1997, don't lose us. Click subscribe on your podcast app of choice. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and I will read it on air. Enough about me and what I want. I've got old friend Jacob Cowden here to talk about the heels and the cocks. Jacob, what's the good word? You know, I'm excited. I'm in my childhood room. I'm a lot happier than I was after week one last year, so feeling good. Or any week one since 1997, one might say. In a long time. It has, and let's just start there, man. The heels... Gave South Carolina the chance to uh, to retake the lead after they went up 24-20. Not one, not two, but three times. And, you know, as a jaded UNC fan myself, and you perhaps a little less so in your younger age, um, I fully expected us to go ahead and eventually lose that game. So what did you see from the defense late that caused us not to do that? Yeah, well – my guy, Miles Wolfuck, obviously had the, those two big interceptions. Rewatching the game, I didn't, I guess, in the game, I didn't realize how much time South Carolina had. Uh, that Bo Krause touchdown was with about 8.30 on the clock. So they had multiple chances. I thought Carolina's defense played aggressive and communicated better, and also South Carolina's offense even down by four, fourth quarter, played too conservative, and that kind of combination let Carolina hang on to the win. Yeah, uh, they kind of put it a little bit more in Jake Bentley's hands late, just out of necessity. But um, they only they only attempted, I think, five passes more than ten yards downfield throughout the entire game. Obviously, two of those were picked off. So was this a Jake Bentley issue, or was this Jay Bateman's defense? Um, showing immediate dividends or was it a little bit of both i know jake bentley's your boy jake bentley's my boy i would say uh op- south carolina's offensive play calling like 35 percent, 65 percent jay bateman's defense because i think early in the game we saw flashes but there were some communication issues like on that touchdown to the tight end um where miles Dorn rotated a bit late there was some uh that was one issue as far as like i think first game with the new defensive coordinator but fourth quarter they settled in got the assignments right so i think being assignment sound by the end of the game and being able to play with the lead be a bit more aggressive uh helped the carolina defense a lot yeah we would be remiss not to mention the efforts of uh chaz surratt who i have written off constantly on this program um he had an excellent day at in his debut as a linebacker i was During the game, watching it live, he was in position on every play, and he was there to make a lot of tackles. He missed a lot of tackles. Um, The big one, obviously, where uh, he filled the gap appropriately against Taven Feaster, and Feaster took it 34 yards for a touchdown. Uh, Where were you on Surratt's performance? Because I thought it was extremely encouraging, but kind of more of a testament to Bateman's defense that even a guy who's never played linebacker more than, you know, sticking his hand in the dirt and rushing the passer on third down in high school, the dude was where he needed to be all day. Yeah, and, you know, I think if you look at the raw numbers, he had 12 tackles in a sack. So you think, oh, he had a great game. 
but you're right. He missed, you know, that Feaster missed tackle. He missed at least one or two other sack opportunities on Jake Bentley as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, which to me is is positives. Like he played that well with that much room for improvement as far as the tackling. I was, that's actually something I want to ask you about because you you looked in the in live at the game. You could tell maybe even more than on camera, just kind of shying away from physicality. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't so much that he was avoiding tackles. I mean, he definitely bought into Bateman's philosophy of rugby tackling, where you're kind of approaching guys to from the side and turning them down, as opposed to just hitting them square up and going for the big hit. I don't know if yet he has the uh, upper body strength to really do that. But, I mean, again, if you're in position and you can hold a guy up, uh, the rest of the defense is going to swarm and make a lot of plays. And that's where you see, you know, of his 12 tackles, only three of them were solo. So I'd, I'd love to see the uh, pro football focus numbers on this and see how many missed tackles he had. But overall, I mean, you've got to give it an A- minus because he was never called out of position. He had a nice pass breakup in the second quarter. Um, just really let his athleticism shine. He he just looked very skinny for the linebacker position. Yeah, and it's complicated defense. So being in position that much, first game, not just a linebacker, but on defense completely, uh, I expected it kind of be more missed op- assignments from him. So in that sense, I thought he played pretty well, even though there was a lot of missed tackles, which kind of the big, big question mark. Other than that, I thought he played pretty well um, – all things in context yeah and you were spot on with the uh one blown assignment on the tight end i would say is actually two because he got a third and 16 on that same drive so that worries me a little bit going into the miami game but that'll be another podcast later this week uh the the back for the secondary uh they lost trey morrison early and that was kind of a red flag for me Storm Duck acquitted himself real well, um, did everything they asked him to do. Greg Ross looked like a different person from last year. And then, like you said, Wolfolk, I mean, just an absolute ball hawk. So, you know, what what was your takeaway from the secondary? Yeah, Storm Duck, a true freshman. It sounded like I heard Mac Brown say he lined up in man, or maybe it was Jay Baben, but like he on that first play, he lined up in man when it was a zone defense. So got some some true freshman issues going on. But, but yeah, played really well. Greg Ross was the, the most pleasant surprise to me. Uh, I thought Renee, once he got back in the game in the second half, played really well. Uh, Wolfuck, I've been saying this for like a year and a half. He has the best ball skills on the team, so I would not surprise at all he came away with those two interceptions. Um, yeah, I think other than communication issues, though, overall they played really well, and that's something you can clean up as, as the year goes on. And, and week one to week two, hopefully you get a lot of those cleaned up, go back and watch the film. And they cleaned up a lot of it from week 13 of 2018 to week one of 2019. I mean, it, it was an absolute just different unit. I mean, they, they were where they needed to be there. They were making breaks on the ball. So a testament to Dre Bly as well, giving him a shout out. But you look at uh, Renee and Duck, they both made one tackle. And generally, when you're not calling your outside corners names, that's a good thing. Uh, Greg Ross. Six tackles, three solo. Uh, he was up in run support a little more, even had a tackle for loss. So, I mean, all of that, you know, it, it adds up to UNC gave up 273 yards total on defense, which is their best performance in six years. So you've got to give the defense just absolute rave reviews. They got pressure on Bentley. They made him uncomfortable. Didn't really manifest itself in too many sacks, but uh, 
or hurries really with just four, but that was more South Carolina, not really uh, pressing the attack downfield. Yeah. And cause South Carolina, Jake Bentley's a senior. I've professed my love for him. They got two, I think a senior and a junior tackle. Uh, both their running backs are seniors. They're an experienced offense. And to be able to hold them under 300 yards, I think, in the first game of the year with the new defense is much better than I anticipated, even if I had good expectations, just because it was such an outstanding performance overall. Yeah, I got in a little argument with a uh, UNC frat guy um, midway through the second quarter about us being right where we needed to be because we were so vanilla on both sides of the ball and only down seven points. So as I left to get an adult beverage at halftime, I told him, no doubt we would win this game. And I'm glad I was proven right. Um, I hope he's listening. Yeah. But the second half, I mean, you know, they took off the kid gloves, both uh, on the defense. There was a lot more pressure from the defense in the second half. And obviously with Sam Howell, they started pushing the ball upfield. So offensively, what did you see from Howell? Uh, no picks, although there were two that probably should have been. Uh, 10.2 yards in attempt and and – a fourth quarter comeback for a true freshman quarterback in his first test. Yeah, I think a lot, especially the second half when they opened it up a bit more, a lot of the things we saw from how were exactly what we saw in high school, which is mostly a good thing. I think coming out of my mouth, that doesn't sound good, but there were a lot of positives in high school, which is why he was rated so high. I think he, my big question mark for him was in high school, he was often, the best athlete on the field. And he was, I think he had over a thousand yards rushing. It was definitely close to that in high school. Uh, so I want to see in college, like if he'd adjust to being able to stay in the pocket and uh, trust his offensive line, and because he wouldn't be able to do that. And I think he did better than I thought he would rushing. Uh, there were a couple plays. There was even one third down and eight conversion that he converted that got called back for a penalty. Um, you know, there's a lot of, running around in the pocket but keeping his eyes downfield for the most part as well uh, a couple outside the number throws that that are really impressive throws that not a lot of quarterbacks can make and and yeah and that one honestly should I don't know how that South Carolina defensive back didn't pick that off but but it worked you know um, his deep ball accuracy that that fade to um, Daz Newsome on that third down when they were backed up in the goal line the throw to Corrales was great the the throw to Deami Brown as well the deep ball accuracy was really impressive. So I think that and keeping plays alive with his legs were A, impressive, but B, exactly what we saw in high school. So not surprising. Yeah. Um, if I had some critiques, uh, there were, I counted four missed primary reads in the first half where, you know, he, he had his guy open either on backside slant or, you know, a quick flat route. Um, did not hit those and ended up holding onto the ball a little too long which leads kind of to my second critique is that he probably took a few too many hits um, trying to make plays, which again, correctable in game one. But overall, I mean, you said it, all three of those deep balls were right on the money. Um, unfortunately, Newsom didn't come up with his. Um, Brown made an incredible play, number one on the Sports Center top 10 on Sunday. Um, I would quibble that the number two catch was a little bit more impressive, but South Carolina was um, very, very handsy with their coverage. So you've got to give the receivers a lot of credit for making plays and making Howell look good because 15 for 24 is not easy to do when you don't get a defensive pass interference call until very late in the game. Um, the one he threw to Carl Tucker off the play action in the second quarter, I thought that was an obvious pass interference, but alas. 
Yeah, uh, I thought it was pass interference. I thought it was a good throw as well. So unfortunately not to come up with that. But, uh, you know, hopefully those things translate as the season goes on. And, and yeah, too many hits. There's that one especially that where he was just scrambling around it and he actually he fumbled the ball because he was holding on to it a bit too long. So that was – I agree with that. Probably the biggest critique, holding on the ball too long. But um, I think that will get better as the season goes on. Yeah, I mean, he's he's reading more complex defenses than he played in high school. Um, you, you had basically an install for both sides of the ball all throughout his – practice experience so he's look I mean he's, he's facing live bullets for the first time uh they're probably a little bit of nerves and I thought Phil Longo did a wonderful job um despite the heels settling for three field goals in the first half I was like I said earlier I was more than okay with that because what you don't want is him to throw a red zone interception and come away with nothing so just giving him the opportunity to kind of settle in before they had to get aggressive you know, I mean, it, it played out as well as it possibly could have, and the Heels come away with a four-point victory. Um, let's shift gears to the running game because that was also a lot of fun. Who was your favorite of the three running backs because all three had their moments? Oh, I love Javante Williams. We were talking about this in our, in our Slack channel, but he, he had 80 yards after contact. He averaged uh, 4.4, almost 4.5 yards after contact in the game. He totaled 102 rushing yards. I thought he played physical. I thought he played fast, falling forward, uh, you know, just really punished, like seeking out contact almost to the South Carolina linebackers. I thought, you know, yeah, all three of them played well. Antonio had a couple big runs, especially backed up uh, when Carolina's backed up in their own end zone. But – to me, Javante Williams might have been the player of the game offensively, even if, if he didn't score, just because of how important he was to to keep the drive alive, um, tiring out South Carolina's defense, things like that. Yeah, I mean, there was there was no uh, solo tackle on Javante Williams. And even that swing pass he took for 15 yards, I mean, just absolutely punished a South Carolina um, secondary defender to get him down. So I thought he kind of set the tone for – what the offense was able to do, but the offensive line was getting a push and really did not give South Carolina a chance to make plays behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, Michael Carter, 16 carries for 77 yards. As you mentioned, Antonio Williams, his per carry was a little bit better because he only had four carries uh, with 53, but just beautiful stuff from the running game because I thought we were going to lose this game in the trenches and both sides just showed up, man. Yeah, and I might pronounce his name wrong, but the right guard, uh, Marcus McKeithen, there were a lot of the big runs we had where they were right guard and sometimes the tackle as well um, were, were pulling. And I thought Marcus McKeithen did a great job getting to the second level, um, you know, getting to the South Carolina linebackers. The offensive line as a whole did really well, but, but McKeithen was, I thought, the best offensive lineman uh, in the game. Yeah, and the offensive coaching staff did a great job of kind of untraining the offense from, you know, some of the some of the things that I didn't like last year. Uh the running backs when they're running behind pulling guards in years past, you know, you'd see them kind of run east-west until that hole emerged, but they were very aggressive in attacking the hole and not taking negative plays. Um I can't think of a negative rushing play that the Heels had all day uh from three running backs or toe groves who had the one carry for eight yards on the end of round. 
Man, at the end of the day, let, let's talk a couple negatives. Um, the first one I've got is that the Heels probably could have won this game by 20 points. Yeah, you know, definitely. And uh, I think when the first half, like you said, um, I think the first half w- was good as far as like being conservative. I think some people weren't happy, wanted to let Sam Howell unleash it a little more. But but I don't mind settling in and, and ultimately getting those nine points. But the second half could have gotten, I think, maybe one more score. But I think what you're referring to and what I thought was the defense missed the signs, especially that long drive by South Carolina where their tight end had, had that touchdown and that big third down conversion. A lot of that was missed assignment. So I think as good as the defense did, they could have given up less than 20 ultimately with, uh, I think, better communication, uh, better positioning, and honestly, sometimes better tackling. In the first half especially, they didn't tackle very well, not just Chasserat, but um, a lot of them. So I think the defense more than the offense, I think, could have swayed that, that point total. Well, I would argue that the special teams could have swayed that point total because South Carolina did score on a uh, very quick drop uh, on a very quick drive on a short field after a you know a miss hit by Ben Kiernan, and then late with uh, South Carolina threatening to come back and take the lead, uh, the punt coverage was a little suspect against Brian Edwards, and he returned it back into UNC territory. Uh, special teams was a big issue, and going forward, how do you see that improving? just hope honestly like there's not a lot of like <laughs> just better performance but like if there's it's not like you can do it other than practicing better I thought Ruggles played well but yeah as far as like punting or even kickoffs a uh, kickoff return a lot of that is just effort and on the punter's performance it's just punting better so I don't know how much improvement there can be other than like in in pra- in week practice so I don't know if that's the best answer but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm no special teams expert, but uh, Ben Kiernan averaged 41.6 yards a kick. Uh, unfortunately, those the three that were returned were returned for an average of 22. So not quite flipping field position yet, but as long as the defense is holding up, that's quite all right. Oh, man. You got anything else from this one? Um. No, I thought running backs played really well. Kind of, that was the... the best group we've talked about all offseason i thought the receivers played really well as well um no liked it a lot a lot of things to build on going forward um and i'm glad we got the first pick in the first game last year we had to wait till october i think for the first interception so that was the big thing i wanted was to get an interception early especially first game of the season and we got it so yeah and i believe two let's see it was three years ago where we had to wait until like week 11 and then our boy miles Wolfolk uh got a pick against old dominion in the third game uh back in 17 if memory serves and that was the first one of the year so hey we're uh we're turning the ball over this this is great man yeah um we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break and then we're gonna shift gears because i know jacob was at a game on thursday night and we're just gonna kind of hit what happened nationally just real quick rapid fire we'll be right back Jacob. I'm back. I'm good. There we go. Uh, you were in Provo, Provo for the Utah-BYU game. Uh, did you stick it out through the lightning delay? I wanted to. Yeah, the lightning delay happened at about uh, midnight mountain time, which is where, where the game was at. And I was with my little brother, and we were going to stay, but they weren't announcing 
how soon the players were going to come back out to the field, and he had work in the morning. So I left the stadium around 12, about 20 minutes after we left, the players started warming up. So the game didn't start again until about 1 a.m. So unfortunately, it didn't stay to the rest of the game, but it sounded like BYU didn't even get the ball back for the last nine minutes of the game, so didn't miss much. Uh, yeah, Utah's pretty physically, I don't want to say physically dominant, but uh, BYU had a hard time moving the ball the whole game. Yeah, um, I'm still not very carried away with Tyler Huntley as the Utah quarterback, but I was watching that game with a little bit of interest, No, A, knowing you were there, and B, uh, given our hot take that Utah could win the Pac-12. They yeah. are really good. I mean, you know, not to take too much away from week one, but we kind of we, we knew they were good. Um, I didn't expect them to put it on BYU like that. Yeah, no, no, they're really good. And I agree with Tyler. I think that's where some of the offensive issues were. Not all Tyler Huntley, but but a lot of the his limitations of the quarterback. But but the defense is fast. Utah has a cornerback named Jalen Johnson, who I think is a top. I think Bryce Hall of Virginia is the best cornerback in the country, but that Jalen Johnson, he's top five uh, for sure. Um, they're fast. And it's, I think Utah and Washington, we thought that as well, especially after that Oregon game, I think it'll be Utah and Washington in the Pac-12 championship. And with USC's quarterback, not to be just super sporadic here, but USC's quarterback towards ACL. So Utah is a really good shot to be in a position at least to, to get to the playoffs just because of their schedule so easy. Yeah, I mean, it really comes down to beating Washington in the Pac-12 championship because I don't see more than one or two regular season losses for them, and one of those could be Washington. So a revenge game, and they could be right in the picture. Um, let's be a little sporadic. Uh, you, you got to sit in front of a TV for most of Saturday, I'm assuming. So what did you see that we can uh, riff on real quick? Well, I love Bo Nix. He was the highest race dual threat quarterback coming out of high school, Mr. Alabama last year, the Auburn quarterback. Uh I didn't love Oregon as well. Um, I thought for even though they were down, I thought Auburn was physically in control of that game and just had some offensive mistakes that kept them away from being in the lead. I thought Oregon, after that first couple of drives, um, you know, wasn't as physically dominant. Their offensive line wasn't as impressive as I thought they were going to be. So if I'm an Oregon fan, I, I'm concerned. And I'm an Auburn fan, I'm pretty happy. And I don't think they're going to win the SEC West, but they can knock off somebody. I think other than that, I was surprised it took Alabama so long to get going against Duke. And Duke came out with – they were running like every possible – they ran the triple option even a couple of times. It looked like they were like five wide. They were doing everything against Alabama. Yeah, uh, to go back to Auburn for a second, you know, I, I think I mentioned this on our SEC preview, but it just feels like one of those Auburn years. And to get the game-winning touchdown with 14 seconds left, kind of uh, – crystallizes that in my mind a little bit but I think they just wore Oregon down uh Oregon was very I mean they were physically dominant for the first half and then in the second half got a little conservative uh Justin Herbert was throwing off his back foot against uh, Auburn's defensive line that didn't work out so well um Alabama at Duke I didn't pay a, a red cent of attention to because we knew how that one was going to end um if we're sticking the SEC Joe Burrow had a big game so maybe this new orleans saints passing coordinator thing is not completely ridiculous maybe not it looked really comfortable in that that new offense um i forgot his completion percentage was, was ridiculously high i forgot it off the top of my head though 
2327 really for, for them in that uh Texas game. I think LSU's going to win relatively handily, but but yeah, LSU's finally running a modern offense, which I think is going to be fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, it only took about 10 years of them promising it. Yeah. Uh shifting to the ACC, uh you you didn't get to watch much of the Clemson Georgia Tech game on Thursday night, but um Trevor Lawrence was not very good. I was impressed with Georgia Tech's secondary. Uh, I think they played a big role in that. And they'll knock somebody off this year. I don't know who. Um, I know in our weekly picks, I've got them beating USF, which I did not have a week ago. But Travis Etienne is, was just a man among boys. Yeah, and I'm, I was saying last year, he's one of the best running backs in the country. And just because, you know, I was, a lot of everyone was talking about Trevor Lawrence and deservedly so. I don't think people paid attention to how good he was last year. So he had 205 yards on 12 carries, which is unbelievable. Uh, so I'm glad he he played so well. And uh, I think he'll be an All-American running back by the end of the year. I think he's him and Jonathan Taylor at Wisconsin are, are the best two backs in the country. Yeah, I don't think you're going to get much uh, argument from me on that one. Uh, you had the Boise State come back against Florida State or more so the Florida State collapse where their defense was on the field for 108 plays. And, you know, Boise came from the Pacific Northwest and the storyline going into the game was how are they going to handle the humidity? Um, I would say we have that question about Florida State now. Yeah, you know, Boise State had a true freshman quarterback. They like had the obviously Florida State as well, but they were supposed to go to Jacksonville. Then they were supposed to go to Tallahassee, like everything that could have gone been going wrong for Boise State. And they were getting smoked early the first quarter. So I was excited. I was like, Willie Taggart finally figured it out. New offensive coordinator, Kendall Bryles is getting it going, who, who I think is a great offensive coordinator, by the way. I like that hire, but yeah, Boise State, their culture, that, that true freshman quarterback, Hank Bachmeyer, I really liked him. He's from Southern California. Uh, Riverside area uh, he played really well and better than I thought he would I thought Florida State would win this game and I don't want to say I'm disappointed because I don't have any feelings toward Florida State football but I they need it they just need to pick it up I need him to do better just it's embarrassing at this point like how I don't know what the word is frustrating losses like I don't know what's going on with their program but I need him to fix it yeah, I just wrote the uh, ACC power rankings for week two, and I sat in writer's block for about 30 minutes trying to figure out who I was going to rank second. Um, ended up settling on Virginia just because they still feel like the safest bet. They beat Pitt 30-14. to 14. They were down by a point at half. Um, I watched none of that game or the Virginia Tech-Boston College game, so let's uh, kind of pair those two Virginia schools together. Uh, did you see anything from those two that surprised you? Not surprised me. I thought Boston College would beat Virginia Tech, and I thought Virginia would beat Miami or sorry Pitt. I think they won by about fifteen points. Virginia, I was looking at it. Virginia has the best non-Clemson quarterback in Bryce Perkins in the conference, and they have the best non-Clemson defensive player in cornerback Bryce Hall, who I mentioned earlier. So, in that sense, I think it's fair to put them at as the number two team especially after Miami's loss. I think Miami, if they can can pick it up after that Florida loss, protect Jaron Williams a bit better, can be the number two. Uh, that's what we've been talking about all offseason. Virginia and Miami is the, yep. the second team. And Syracuse didn't play that well against Liberty, who 
I thought I'd potentially be the second best team in the conference as well, even if they don't go to the championship game. Yeah, I put Syracuse three and Miami four. Um, Syracuse, I mean, we're not going to talk about football for a second. How freaking weird was the whole Hugh Freeze thing? That, yeah, coaching from a hospital bed in the press box, I don't even know what he'd be doing up there. I feel like just, you know, recover at home. I think everybody's going to understand if you can't even stand up if you're not at the game. It was just a distract. I don't know how the players felt, but I thought it was, I wasn't like mad, but it was like, this seems like a distraction kind of just from the game, you know? Yeah, you would think you would trust your assistant coaches enough to handle this one, but um, apparently not. Um, the, the best thing I saw from college football Twitter this weekend was uh, whoever um, marked up the video to where Dino Babers gave him the wave and Hugh Freeze waves back, and then uh, they put the Iowa fans waving at the Make-A-Wish Foundation kids um, oh, yeah. <laughs> that are overlooking the stadium. That gave me about 20 minutes of enjoyment. I watched it on loop for way too long. Um, second favorite thing was everything that happened with the Tennessee-Georgia State game. Uh, Georgia State, shout out to my boy Travian Robertson, who uh, played at South Carolina. He's their defensive line coach, good friend of mine. Uh, they went out, held Tennessee under 100 yards rushing, got that win. Uh, a boat called on fire in the Vol Navy. And one of Tennessee's band members passed out in the pregame uh, band performance. So you kind of knew where this one was going early on. Yeah, Georgia State was 2-10 and 10 last year in the Sun Belt. I think they're going to do a bit better than 2-10 and 10 this year. But it was, it was finally Tennessee's year. They're going to get back to bowl eligibility. Jeremy Pruitt had him on track. And for as bad as Tennessee's football has been, uh, this is a stat I think Scott Van Pelt pointed out on, on his show on SportsCenter, but Derek Dooley, Lane Kiffin, and Butch Jones, none of those guys ever lost to a non-Power 5 team. And and that crazy coaching escapade a couple years ago where Jeremy Pruitt ended up being like their eighth choice, I think we're seeing the the why he was only their eighth choice. You know, I don't think he's doing as good a job. I think Tennessee just thought – well, we need to get somebody, he'll take the job, and he coached under Nick Saban. But I I think they're the only ones who had a worse day than Florida State on Saturday. I think you would make the case that those go one-two in some order with, you know, at least from a national perspective for now, South Carolina being number three with uh, now Jake Bentley out for the foreseeable future. And the fact that they have a very rough schedule going forward with a true freshman quarterback. Uh, what what was your one kind of – I mean, who is your big winner for week one? I'm sure we probably already touched on it, but just overall, you know, theme, whatever you want to call it, I'm putting you on the spot here, but your favorite thing yeah. from week one. Yeah, I thought, honestly, we didn't talk about this, but Cincinnati, you know, beat UCLA pretty soundly. They go to Ohio State. I don't think they're going to win that game at Ohio State. But uh, Cincinnati played really well. I think they're the best group of five team in the country this year. Their quarterback, Desmond Ritter, uh, really athletic, strong arm, really like him as a quarterback. Um, so I'd say Cincinnati as a team and Justin Fields as a player counted for five touchdowns. Um, I think since he's had a, an offseason as a starter and he's not being swapped in as like a, a running – substitute for Jake Fromm 
Uh, I think people are seeing how talented he is at Ohio State. So that's the game I'm most excited to watch actually next week because they play each other. Uh, Justin Fields at Ohio State and then Cincinnati Bearcats out of the American Conference. Yeah, and I would say my overall winner, I mean, this is very regional to you, was just the Mountain West Conference as a whole. Uh, Wyoming knocked off Missouri. Uh, Fresno State played UCLA or USC pretty close. Uh, Nevada knocked off Purdue. And your boys at Utah State, they made me pretty confident about how UNC is going to move the ball on Wake's defense. So that's that that was kind of my big takeaway is that the Mountain West is going to compete with the AAC as possibly the best G5 league this year. Yeah, and, and Boise State, you didn't even mention Boise State, just so many uh, great wins. And then Nevada plays Oregon this week, so things could get real bad for Oregon. I think they'll win that game, but there's a world where Nevada's having the best season um, after two weeks in the country. That's a world that I would be happy to live in, I guess, but um, I don't know if we will or not. I think Oregon's probably a little bit better. Um, Jacob, I mentioned that I had the ACC power rankings go up. Uh, what do you have going on for the TarHeelBlog.com website this coming week? Yeah, I think it's going to be Thursday or Friday where it comes up, but I'm writing about um Miami's front seven how UNC matches up with them uh Miami I think has the best linebacker core in the country so so just kind of going back to last week what Carolina's front offensively did well and how it's going to translate to Miami man I am uh looking forward to taking a deep dive into that one I wish we had another data point from Miami to work off of but you know I don't think we can take away too much from the Florida game but it's going to be a dog fight and it's one that my opinion has shifted to where the heels can win the game. Yeah, which we wouldn't have said a week ago at all. We would, so. we would not have. I, I think we both entertained the notion of going 0-5, and, and that is now impossible, good sir. Uh, Jacob, I appreciate you joining me. Everybody, I appreciate y'all listening. Go back to the beginning of the podcast and do what I told y'all to do. And until next time, keep it locked and go heels.